Hello and welcome to the Jared Barnes Show. I'm your host, Jared Barnes. Today is May 26th, Tuesday, May 26th, and I'm actually recording this Tuesday, May 26th. Right now, it currently for me, it is 12.18 in the morning, and I'm exhausted. I just finished the notes for this episode, and I'm really looking forward to it, honestly. It's one of my favorite episodes so far of this What Happened To series. And I really do think you're going to enjoy it. I'm sure you saw by the title. Today we're going to be covering Pat White and what happened to that early WVU squad of the early 2000s. So, just so you know, if you really like the content that I put out here, uh, make sure to subscribe, rate, review, do all of those things as it will help my podcast grow. Just know that I really appreciate you listening. And also, I want to thank every single one of you that voted on my it's participating voting in the movie bracket because yesterday I was blown away with the support that I got for that thing as every single one of my stories by midnight of right now, I never had a story. I'll just be honest. On my Instagram, I had never had a story that had over 60 views. And every single one of them had over 200 views, and there was over 150 votes on every single one of them. So I really appreciate every single one of you. Let's keep it going today as the basketball voting is going on, but I'm not going to really talk about that as I want to get into the story of Pat White and that early WVU team of the early 2000s. Thanks for listening today. This is a great episode. I really hope you enjoy it. And uh, stick around to the end because I got John Denver playing us out today. (laughs) All right, let's get into it. So today we're going to be talking about specifically Pat White and also some of the other players from that early 2000s WVU squad of the 2010s that had that included Pat White, Steve Slayton, Owen Smith, uh, Pat McAfee, all of the above. And we're going to start by talking about Pat White in high school. And in high school, Pat White was a dominant athlete on both the football and the baseball diamond. Uh, White attended Daphne High School in Daphne, Alabama. Uh, In baseball, White won two state titles in Alabama. And in his senior campaign for football in high school, White threw for 1,488 yards and 15 touchdowns, while also rushing for 1,905 yards and 31 touchdowns. White became a Class 6A all-first team in football for his senior season and finished third and Mr. Football for Alabama as well. It was clear to many schools that Pat White was an extremely good athlete. And WVU, Auburn, Kentucky, LSU, Mississippi State, and Vanderbilt were all teams that were heavily trying to convince White to come to their schools. Not all of these schools were looking to bring him in as a quarterback, though. White originally committed to LSU as a wide receiver, And West Virginia realized the only chance they had at even possibly landing Pat White was to offer him a chance to play quarterback for them. And it worked as White was intrigued by the opportunity, and a month later, after his visit to WVU's campus, he committed to West Virginia. But little did West Virginia know that the recruits that they landed in 2005 would help to majorly set their program into a different direction. 
as that recruiting class included Pat White, Steve Slayton, Pat McAfee, and also Owen Smith, who walked on during the tryouts for the 2005 season. Now, Pat White's athleticism fit perfectly into the offense that the Mountaineers ran for the entirety of White's time at WVU. That offense was designed and created by none other than the hard-nosed coach named Rich Rodriguez, or as most refer to him as Rich Rod. Rich Rod began his coaching career at WVU in 1985 as a student assistant. Rich Rod bounced around from a bunch of different schools at all levels. At one point, Rich Rod became the youngest head coach in college football as a 25-year-old in 1988 for the Salem University. Now, being the youngest coach in college football is not easy, and that season did not really bode well for him or the team as they went 2-8. and eight. And after that season, the university decided to just completely drop its football program altogether. Now, I don't know if that was just due to the way the season went or the fact that the football program was probably struggling enough to where they were to a point where they had to hire a 25-year-old head coach because nobody else wanted the job. So it probably wasn't Rich Rod's fault, but he just so happened to be there when it happened. So after that, Rich Rod returned back to West Virginia for a season before leaving again to become the head coach at Glenville State College, which was a Division II school. Rich Rod and and Glenville State struggled the first two seasons that he was there, but in 1992 they went 6-4 and and the corner was honestly beginning to turn for the program. Then over the next four seasons, Rich Rod and his newly developed offense was able to win four WVIAC, which stands for West Virginia Intercollegiate Athletic Conference Championships, Rodriguez was named WVIAC Coach of the Year twice during his time there, and after massive success at Glenville State, Rich Rod decided he wanted to test his, you know, his newfound offensive skill against some bigger competition as he decided to become the offensive coordinator for the University of the Tulane, yeah, the two the, of Tulane. I don't know why I said of the Tulane, but whatever. Moving on, as the offensive coordinator of Tulane. Rich Rod helped the Green Wave to a 7-4 record in their first season, which, at that time, was their best record since 1980. Now, the next season was improvement from that season, if not much better improvement, as the Green Wave ended up going 12-0 in the regular season. At that time, Rodriguez was working under Tommy Bowden, who, if you listened to the last episode, you recognize that name because Tommy Bowden was the father of great coach Bobby Bowden, who coached Charlie Ward. You know, like the player from the last episode, like I mentioned. Tommy Bowden was hired to be the head coach of the Clemson Tigers. And Bowden decided to keep Rich Rod around and brought him and his spread option offense with him. Before taking the job, though, Rich Rod had other options, as many believed he would end up as the Tulane head coach. That ultimately didn't happen. But Rich Rod still had one or two more places that he could have gone, and one of those places was Texas Tech. So he interviewed for the job, but in the end he didn't get hired there either as he lost out to none other than the great and hilarious Mike Leach, who Mike Leach at his time at Texas Tech developed a insane spread offense as well. So it was clear Texas Tech would have been fine taking either guy. 
but I think in the end it worked out for both. But due to the fact that Rich Rod didn't get the job at Texas Tech or at Tulane, he decided to follow Bowden to Clemson and work there for two seasons. During his time in Tulane and Clemson, Rich Rod was able to perfect the spread option offense, and when given the opportunity, he was ready to use that offense to shock the world. In 2001, Rich Rod returned to West Virginia, but this time, he wasn't an assistant. He wasn't a, like, a position coach. He was the head coach. Now, it wouldn't be for another four years until White would arrive on campus, but White and Rich Rod's offense were a match made in heaven. Now, coming out of high school, Pat White was drafted in the fourth round of the MLB draft to the Los Angeles Angels. Now, Pat, Pat White decided to pass on the six-figure salary that he could have gotten for playing baseball. And he just wanted a chance at collegiate glory, so he just passed on it. Now, White ended up not winning the starting job, but he and other WVU quarterback, Adam Bernardic would be co-starters. Pat White and Bernardic shared the role of quarterback until week seven of the 2005 season. WVU was trailing Louisville 24-7 when Bernardic ended up going down with an injury. About 11 minutes left in the fourth quarter, White came in and took over. Now, it wasn't just all White. On that drive, White came in and was honestly put into a really bad spot being down by three scores. But White used his legs to the best of his ability on that drive as he sparked the offense and converted a huge fourth and ten and then two plays later, Steve Slayton was able to punch it in for a touchdown. Now on the next drive, White and the WVU offense was unable to score, and the Mountaineers had to settle for a Pat McAfee field goal. This was the game where the legend of Pat White and Steve Slayton was kind of born and molded a little bit, as they carried the WVU offense on their back, specifically Steve Slayton. On the final drive, White was able to convert a crucial first down due to a nice read option play, and then two plays later, Slayton was able to punch it in again for his third touchdown of the game as WVU has not, had now tied Louisville 24-24. to Louisville ran out the clock and just headed into overtime, and in the first overtime, fullback Owen Smith ran for about 20 yards on the first play, and then the next play, Steve Slayton ran it in for his fourth touchdown of the game. So in just two plays, WVU and their great rushing attack was able to take their first lead after being down by 17 points before Pat White came into the game. Louisville was able to tie it up, though, and they headed into a second overtime. In the second overtime, Louisville just walked in the end zone on a touchdown pass from Brian Braun, who is Jeff Braun, head coach of Purdue's younger brother. Just felt like I had to throw that in there. But WVU also made it easy as Steve Slayton scored his Fifth touchdown of the day on a very nice 20-yard run on WVU's second play from scrimmage in the second overtime. Now going into the third overtime, the NCAA rules are you cannot kick extra points no more. You have to start going for two. And that's when WVU was able to finally defeat Louisville after a huge third and eight conversion on a screen pass to Owen Smith, which was a great design as Owen Smith, that's the last guy you would expect it to go to on third and eight. He just kind of leaked out to the left-hand side of Pat White. And right after that, Steve Slayton ran the ball in on a pitch for his sixth rushing touchdown of the night. 
Now, like I said, NCAA rules demand that you go for two in the third overtime. So they did. And they converted it on a pass. Pat White rolled out pass to the left. WVU's defense was able to hold up Louisville as they couldn't convert the two-point conversion. The nation had just seen the birth of a deadly duo in White and Slayton as WVU never looked back after this. The final score of that game in particular was West Virginia 46, Louisville 44. From that point on, WVU's rushing attack took over, and that was headed up by White, Slayton, and blocking fullback Owen Smith. And they rolled right through the Big East as WVU went on to go undefeated in the Big East, which they had not done since the 1993 season. The Mountaineers clinched the Big East title in a game versus Pittsburgh and Morgantown. Earlier in the day, before the game kicked off, there was a major snowstorm which led the game to have to be played on a frozen field. In this game, WVU avenged their previous year loss versus Pittsburgh as Pat White went on to break the single-game Big East rushing record when he ran for 220 yards in a 45-13 victory over the Pitt Panthers in the backyard brawl. After WVU won the Big East, they clinched a spot in the BCS Bowl game, which is what happens when you automatically win the Big East. You automatically clinch a spot in the BCS Bowl game. And the Mountaineers ended up being selected to participate in the 2006 Sugar Bowl. Now, this was also the first year that the Sugar Bowl was not being played in New Orleans due to the fact that Hurricane Katrina came in and devastated the New Orleans area. So the Sugar Bowl location ended up being Atlanta. And the other team that was playing in the game versus WVU was Georgia. So really, it ended up virtually being pretty much a home game for the 8th ranked Bulldogs. But WVU came into Atlanta and beat the hell out of the Bulldogs as they jumped out to a 28-0 lead in the second quarter. After surrendering some points in the game, WVU was leading the game 38-35. And on a crucial fourth down with not much time left in the game, the WVU punter ran it for a fake and converted for a first down. And after that, WVU was able to run out the clock. Steve Slayton was able to amass 204 yards on 26 carries with a pair of 52-yard rushing touchdowns, and he won the Sugar Bowl MVP. White rushed for 77 yards and threw for 120 yards in a touchdown, as the dynamic duo had just shocked the entire college football world and put them on notice. Just a reminder, though, both White and Slayton were true freshmen in the 2005-2006 college football season. Slayton finished the season with 1,128 rushing yards and 17 touchdowns, and he also added two receiving touchdowns for a total of 19 touchdowns altogether. White finished the season with 828 passing yards and 8 touchdowns, while he also ran for 952 yards and another 7 rushing touchdowns. Slayton and White combined for a total of 34 touchdowns in their freshman season. Now coming into their sophomore season, both White and Slayton, along with fullback Owen Smith, were featured on the cover of the Regional Sports Illustrated for the Northeast as Pat White was named the big man on campus in this article. White and Slayton continued their dominance as they rolled through the first seven weeks of the season, in which they just dominated the competition. In week one, the Mountaineers defeated the Marshall Thundering Herd 
by a score of 42-10. In this game, Slayton and Pat White combined for four touchdowns. Slayton also ran for 203 yards on 33 carries. In Week 2, the Mountaineers defeated the Eastern Washington Eagles by a score of 52-3 in a game which Slayton and White didn't really have overly huge numbers as they didn't really play very long. In Week 3, the Mountaineers defeated the Maryland Terrapins by a score of 45-24 behind White and Slayton's four combined touchdowns as they each had two. Like I said, the Mountaineers were just dominating everyone, and it wasn't even really close. That was until Week 7 when the Mountaineers played the Louisville Cardinals, led by head coach Bobby Petrino. Now, in the matchup last year when these two teams played each other, WVU pulled off a miraculous comeback, but Louisville was not going to be outplayed and outcoached again. Pat White threw for 222 yards and ran for 125 yards and four touchdowns in this game. And Slayton ran for 156 yards and a touchdown while adding 74 yards receiving. Even though both Slayton and Pat White played well, it just was not enough as the Mountaineers fell to the Cardinals by a score of 44-34. After this, WVU won their next two games as White and Slayton combined for 13 touchdowns in those two games. The uh, WVU was beaten at their home field by the visiting USF Bulls by the score of 24 to 19 after the those next two wins. WVU had always struggled against the Bulls and you'll notice later that that just did not change. The next week WVU faced Rutgers in a game in which if Rutgers would win, they would win the Big East and automatically qualify for a BCS bowl game. And uh WVU decided to play spoiler. Although it took them three overtimes to do it, they ended up stopping Rutgers from winning the Big East as Louisville clinched the conference with WVU's victory. The Mountaineers finished the season with a record of 10-2, and and now it was time for their bowl game. The Mountaineers, led by White and Slayton's versatile, versatile rushing attack, came into the Gator Bowl to face the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets and their dominant big play wide receiver, Calvin Johnson. Yes, that Calvin Johnson. The Mountaineers' defense could not do anything to stop Calvin Johnson all day. Not double coverage or even triple coverage was stopping him as Megatron went for nine catches, 186 yards, and two touchdowns. Pat White had no choice but to single-handedly carry the WVU offense on his back due to the fact that Steve Slayton was injured and unable to play in this game. Pat White played through neck, wrist, and ankle injuries as he played phenomenal as he put up 131 yards passing and two touchdowns, along with 145 yards rushing on 22 carries for another touchdown. White ended up being named the Gator Bowl MVP for this game, and yeah, Both White and Slayton had a phenomenal second season in college football as they combined for 4,978 total yards and 49 total touchdowns together in their sophomore season. White, Slayton, and the Mountaineers entered their season in 2007, which was their third season, their junior year, with one goal in mind, and that was to win a BCS national championship. 
The Mountaineers came out in Week 1 versus Western Michigan and absolutely dominated as they won 62-24. In that game, White threw for 192 yards and two touchdowns and ran for 98 yards and two touchdowns. Slayton finished the game with 109 rushing yards as he kind of struggled early but was still able to score three touchdowns. Slayton also added a receiving touchdown as well as he had 61 yards receiving on two catches. After week one, the Mountaineers and their high-powered offense rolled through the first couple weeks of the season as they won by scores of 48-23, 31-14, and 48-7. Going into week five, though, the Mountaineers are ranked as the fifth team in the nation in the AP and coaches poll. The Mountaineers are scheduled to play the 18th-ranked USF Bulls in Week 5 at Raymond James Stadium in Tampa Bay. This game, in and of itself, may be one of the most famous games in USF at, at USF's football program's history, as it was their first sellout crowd in the history of the entire football program. In the week leading up to the game, Rich Rodriguez said this about USF's completely selling out the game. I've talked to our team about this. I told them, you're highly ranked, and when you go to play a game somewhere, people are going to sell out the stadium. It's like the Yankees. Every time they go somewhere, they get a big crowd. Every time we go somewhere, we're selling out stadiums or helping them sell out. And I'll be honest, that right there, that is a very bold statement to make about your team at any time, let alone a game against a team that has proven that they can already beat you as they had done it the year before. Now, after their head coach made these statements, some of the WVU players took it upon themselves to do an extra step as they showed up to the stadium wearing Yankee baseball caps. Prior to kickoff, you could hear the energy in the stadium, which was definitely not normal for a USF game. Here is the pregame interview by ESPN's Rob Stone of USF's head coach just before the team ran onto the field. Down on the field trying to hear himself in this deafening noise. Here's Rob Stone. Oh, Sean, this feels like Gainesville. It feels like Tallahassee, but it is Tampa. I've lived here for the last seven years. This is unprecedented. You rarely see green and gold out in the streets in Tampa. That has changed the last couple weeks. Head coach Jim Levitt is largely responsible for this. I caught up with him pregame about 36 minutes ago. He was a complete sweaty mess. Why? All right, yeah, it's hot and humid here, but he was running full field sprints. He's right next to me, just walked by me right here to the right. Running full field sprints, getting his team motivated. He gave me a handshake, Sean, that just about broke my hand, and then he started challenging my manhood. He's asking me how dare he if I'm up for this game. Coach, how do you manage the expectation? Go to work, go to work, go to work. <laughs> it's like a WWE game. He's Hulk Hogan. How dare he mess up my hair? <laughs> Alright, Bulls. Here, take it to the field.
due to both teams being so high energy and just up more than they normally are, the game began a little sloppy. The first score did not come until near the end of the first quarter when Pat White was looking across the middle of the field and was intercepted by USF, USF's linebacker Ben Moffin as USF jumped out to a 7-0 lead. A couple possessions later, the University of South Florida ended up scoring on a massive touchdown pass, and here is that play-by-play call from the game that was on ESPN that night. They grew up raised by their grandmother, Helen Jackson, in large part. And Mike Ford has a daughter named Zamari in honor of his cousin Amari. Grothy, how did he get away? Now he has man wide open. It is caught. Kurt Mitchell, touchdown. It looked like the Mountaineers' defenders thought Grothy was down because they had several wide-open receivers. Did Mitchell stay in bounds? It looked like he did. Towards the end of the first half, Pat White injured his knee, and Jarrett Brown had to come in and replace him. With about 30 seconds left in the first half, when WVU was near scoring a touchdown, a miscommunication on the snap led West Virginia to have to settle for a Pat McAfee field goal instead of a touchdown. The score at halftime was 14-3, not 14-7, because they couldn't put, punch it into the end zone. And the second half was no better for WVU, as Pat White never returned, and Jarrett Brown finished the rest of the game as the starting quarterback. Brown's inexperience did not really help WVU much, as they ended up falling to the Bulls for the second year in a row by a score of 21-13. to WVU fell in the rankings a little hard after this as they dropped to 13 in the AP and 12 in the coaches poll. WVU ended up winning their next six games, as two of those games were versus top 25 competition. Now for the final game of the regular season, as WVU was hosting the Pitt Panthers for the 100th game in the Backyard Brawl. Coming into the game, WVU was ranked as the number two team in the country. And looking back to the 2007 season, being the number two ranked team in the country was not good luck as teams ranked number two in the nation were upset a total of five times that year before this game. WVU was looking to make sure they were not the sixth team to do so, but they were going to have to do it without White as he injured his thumb early in the second quarter. Throughout the game, WVU could not get their high-powered offense to really do anything as they were struggling to move the football, let alone score. WVU came into this game as 28.5-point favorites on their own home field, but were unable to cover, let alone win the game, as Pitt, who were now 5-7 and seven after the game, had won by a score of 13 to 9. Pitt won by a score of 13 to 9 because at the end of the game they gave WVU two free points just so that they could run out the clock. 
WVU's offense struggled all game. But so did their special teams, as West Virginia kicker Pat McAfee missed two very key field goals in the game. Pat McAfee's talked about it on his show a lot. He looks back on this game and he, it really bugs him to death because he feels like it's partly his fault because he feels like if he could converted those field goals, it's a completely different game. And he said he's received a lot of death threats uh, from a lot of people on campus. Even still to this day, receives a lot of hate for it. But you can't really knock a guy and for something that for a hypothetical situation because you can make all those field goals and WVU could have um, still lost that game, so it wouldn't have mattered. But after the game was over, some players on the Mountaineer squad had a very hard time dealing and comprehending with the loss, as WVU fullback Owen Smith was quoted after the game saying this. And then you get to the effing last game of the season and blow it against the shittiest effing team in the effing world. This game knocked WVU out of the chance of going to the BCS National Championship game. And due to this, Rich Rodriguez was being heavily looked at for other coaching jobs across the country. If Pitt wouldn't have beaten WVU, Rich Rod likely wouldn't have left as he would have tried to win a national championship and stuck around WVU. But instead... Rodriguez opted to go to Michigan. Now, this wasn't the first time that Rich Rod looked like he was going to leave West Virginia. As the year prior to the 2007 season, it was reported that Rodriguez was going to take the Alabama job before they initially hired Nick Saban. Pat McAfee tweeted about this recently, and he said this. There were about 20 of us players out of the bar. This, the news that Rodriguez was going to Alabama, pops up on ESPN. The place became the biggest party I've ever been a part of. Next morning, team's meeting called. His whole family, talking about Rodriguez, and agents in the room as he's crying. Rodriguez says, I'm not going anywhere. We all walk out hungover. Saban goes to Bama. In a later tweet, McAfee clarified that the reason the players partied was not because they were excited to see Rich Rod go and, you know, have this success. But because they, they wanted to see him leave, they were tired of him. But they didn't get their wish till a year later. And they had to deal with an interim head coach for the Fiesta Bowl. And that interim head coach ended up becoming the, the actual head coach. His name was Bill Stewart. And, um, yeah, for the Fiesta Bowl, they had to deal with Bill Stewart as the head, interim head coach when they played the Oklahoma Sooners. And uh, in that game, WVU ended up steamrolling the Sooners by a score of 48-28 to as White ended up passing for 176 yards and two touchdowns while also adding 150 yards rushing. Slayton ended up leaving very early into the game in what turned out to be his final collegiate football game of all time as Slayton declared for the 2008 NFL Draft on January 13th. Of 2008. Uh, Slayton was not a first or second round pick, but a third round pick by the Houston Texans in the 2008 draft as he was selected with the 89th overall pick. Slayton had a solid rookie year as he ran for 1,282 yards and nine touchdowns. Uh, he also had a receiving touchdown 
but uh, he never really gave the Texans that much production ever again. Actually, he never gave the Texans that much production ever again. Not really. He never actually did it. And Slayton never even signed a second contract with the Texans as he was released in September of the 2011 NFL season. He was claimed by the Dolphins, but didn't really do anything there. And soon after that, Steve Slayton was out of the NFL entirely. Now, without Steve Slayton and without Rich Rodriguez, the WVU Mountaineers would have to depend upon Pat White. In week one of the new season, Pat White looked like he was going to be doing just fine as he threw for a career high 208 yards and threw for five passing touchdowns as WVU defeated the Villanova Wildcats by a score of 48-21. to Now, while they still looked okay, WVU would wind up ending losing the next two games to East Carolina and Colorado, as this was the worst start WVU had gotten off to the entire time that Pat White was at WVU. The Mountaineers and Pat White wound up unranked heading into Week 4, and remained that way up until week 10 of the regular season. In week 10, the Mountaineers ended up playing the Cincinnati Bearcats, and they lost that game, falling unranked again. Three weeks later, the Mountaineers would fail to get their revenge on the Pitt Panthers, as they lost again in the backyard brawl, two years in a row. This loss would mark the fourth loss that WVU would have on the season which was the most that Pat White had in any season that he played for West Virginia. In the final game of his career, Pat White and Pat McAfee and the West Virginia Mountaineers ended up playing the North Carolina Tar Heels in the Meineke Car Care Bowl. On that Tar Heel squad, just a side note here, was country singer Chase Rice, as this was also his final career college football game. So congrats to all those guys. You know, I... I I knew that Chase Rice played college football. I didn't realize that he also had played his final college game the same time Pat White and Pat McAfee played his final college football game. I thought that was just kind of cool, so I threw it in there. Now, Pat White never lost a bowl game before this game, and he was not going to lose that streak as he and the Mountaineers ended up winning that game with a score of 31-30. to It was a close one, but he snuck out. Pat White became the first and only college football player to win four bowl games as the starting quarterback for his school and was also the bowl game MVP for the third time in his career and for the third straight bowl game in a row. White finished the season with 1,844 passing yards and 21 touchdowns on seven interceptions while also running for 974 yards and adding another eight touchdowns. Pat McAfee would finish his career at WVU as the school's all-time leading scorer. Somehow through all of his success, Pat White was never, not one time, ever, an NCAA All-American. And he is never going to be eligible for the College Football Hall of Fame. It's some bull that he's never going to be eligible, and they need to find a way to get him in there anyways. Get five in there, y'all. What are y'all doing? It's ridiculous. Now going into the 2009 NFL Draft, White let teams know that he was willing to play other positions than quarterback in the NFL. But after a solid senior bowl and a solid workout at the Combine, some scouts really liked his ability as a quarterback. 
and the Dolphins ended up selecting him with the 44th overall pick in the second round of the 2009 NFL Draft. Pat White only played one season on the Dolphins, as his season ended up on a terrible, unlucky blow from Steelers cornerback Ike Taylor. Here's the audio from that play. It's not like Pat White didn't complete a lot of passes in college, but man, does he just need to get the monkey off his back and complete one in this game. He's on the move. He's going to run it. And belted out of bounds oh. at about the 24, 25-yard line. Pat White is hurt. He hasn't moved since he took that hit. Oh, he, he took a huge hit. Ike Taylor came roaring up from his cornerback position. Man, we just talked about Pat White being a small guy at six feet, 190, but not afraid of contact. And he, watch this hit. Coming in from the right is going to be Ike Taylor. Helmet to helmet. And wow. And everything has come to a stop on the far sideline. Keep in mind, Oof. Pat White is a running back. And helmet-to-helmet -helmet hits are just part of tackling a ball carrier. So Pat White's hands are moving. That's a good sign. Mike Tomlin giving his good wishes. As Pat White is about to be taken off to the locker room. Well, when there's an injury this serious, the color of your jersey doesn't matter anymore. It's one uh, fraternity. Ike Taylor, the man who applied the hit, giving him the final word. Pat White ended up being cut into the next preseason, and he was not claimed via the waiver wire, so he was out of the NFL. Now, while Pat White ended up playing football again as he signed a contract to play for the United Football League, but he ended up being cut a few short months later in September, as he, when he signed in July, he was cut in September. Soon after that, White ended up signing his final NFL contract in 2013, in the spring and played for the Washington Redskins in the preseason and even started a game, but he didn't make the final 53-man roster. Pat White went, then went on to play for Toronto, the Argonauts, in the CFL, and that didn't really work out very well either. He became a coach, and he ended up coaching for Alcorn State as an assistant, and currently, as of this year, Pat White has been signed to be the running back, running backs coach of, get this, the University of the South Florida Bulls for the upcoming college football season. The team that he couldn't really beat, he decided to join them, just kind of like KD did with Golden State. <laughs> now, uh, that's what Pat White's up to. Rich Rodriguez, um, after two seasons in Michigan, he was fired in his third season. I uh, had a lot of controversy in the 2010s. Uh, coached at Arizona, ended up being fired from there. 
And then last season, he was the offensive coordinator for Ole Miss. But he is currently unemployed. And, yeah, that's what's Rich Rod's not up to really much right now. Just quarantine like the rest of us, I guess. And none other than Pat McAfee is left. And uh, unlike Steve Slayton and Pat White, Pat McAfee had a very successful NFL career as he became a punter. And everybody, I'm sure, if you're a fan of Pat, you've heard his draft story where he thought he was going to get drafted to the Cowboys. He didn't. Then he got drafted to the Colts to be a punter, and he didn't really know how to punt, stuff like that. He ended up becoming PFF's Pro Football Focus's punter of the decade for the 2010s, and he hasn't even played like the last three, four seasons in the NFL as he retired, and then he worked for Barstool for a little bit. Now he's out on his own. He's done a little work for ESPN. He did some Thursday night college football games last season, and he's really just living his best life as he owns his own sports media company. He has his weekly radio show. He does two podcasts, uh, The Pod and his own show, while also co-hosting McAfee and Hawk Sports Talk with AJ Hawk. So Pat McAfee's just living his best life, and he's that's my goal is to be, get to the point where he is right now. But what a team that was. If you're a fan of Pat McAfee, one of the reasons I did this story is because I'm a fan of Pat McAfee, and I've heard the stories that he talks about that team just out partying the night before, and then they come in and whoop a team's butt in the game, and you're like, I don't understand how that's even possible, but they did it. This is a team right here. This WVU squad, the three, four years that Pat McAfee was there, Pat White was there, Slayton was there, and Rich Rob was there, I would love, on my life, would love to see a documentary on this team. It's probably never going to happen. It's too late now, but a documentary on that team would have been fire for sure. But, yeah, this uh, that's all really I had for you today. I'm thankful for you listening. I kind of did a little different. I threw uh, audio clips in there today. Give me feedback on what you think about that. Also, remember to subscribe, rate, review if you like the podcast. Follow me on Instagram. Follow me on Twitter. I'll drop all those links below. Have a great Tuesday, y'all. Remember to go vote on my story for, you know, greatest sports movie is today. We're doing basketball. And I will also post the results at some point today on this Tuesday of the results for the football voting, which currently, as of right now, every single one of those stories has over 200 plus votes and I am just so thankful for that I said that there was um 150 plus at the time of this recording uh it's been about an hour or so since I started and we are now on 200 plus for each one and I'm just thankful for that I really appreciate every single one of you that votes and uh it means a whole lot to me as this is something I wanted to do for a while. I'm glad I found a way to do it. Thank you all so much. Have a great Tuesday. I'm out. John Denver. Hit it. Almost heaven. West Virginia. Blue Ridge Mountains. Shenandoah River. Is older, older than the trees, younger than the mountains, growing like.
Yesterday 